Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to Out of the Question. This is Friday, February 2nd. My name is Charles and I'm joined by my co-host Andrea. How are you today? I'm doing well on this Groundhog Day. Today we have a very interesting topic, I think, and uh, one thing that people see and ask a lot of questions about are the, the motion pictures and films, but also novels and stories. One thing I've noticed, and this is a question that I think some people are asking, is why are there so many movies based on comic book heroes and uh, superhero type things? Behind that question is something far more significant than just that surface question. That would be, why is modern man so attracted to fantasy and fiction to begin with? Do you have any thoughts about that to get us started, Andrew? Well, worldview always enters into any discussion almost about anything. So people look through their eyes with certain presuppositions. And if you're looking at the world through orthodox biblical presuppositions, then you're going to start off with God as creator and you're going to have to deal with the fall of man, and then you're going to have to deal with the time between man's fall and Jesus' incarnation and how he did what the first Adam did not do. So there are a lot of variations in terms of stories and themes that can be brought out maintaining that worldview. But a lot of the fantasy and fiction is coming from a world and life view that isn't in line with scripture. And so it's able to create its own reality, you might say, except it's a reality based on unreality. Yes, and the the roots of this, as you pointed out, is in the worldview of the culture and the people within that culture. And so the expression of those ideas bubble up to the surface in these various aspects of the culture, like art and literature and music and in our age, TV and motion pictures. I believe it was Henry Van Til in his book, The Calvinistic Concept of Culture, who made the statement that culture is religion externalized. We certainly see that the popularity, the extreme popularity of fiction and fantasy type films. Now, of course, those things have always been around in some form, but the key, as you stated, is, you know, what's back of it? What is the motivation? What is the focus out of which these things are being talked about? And I want to be clear, at least from my side of this, I, I, I'm not saying that you can't be biblical and enjoy fiction or art or drama and those sorts of things. And it doesn't mean that art and drama have to be a continual regurgitation of Bible stories and something like that. But the key question is, and the key factor is, what is the purpose of the drama, the music, the TV, the motion picture? What is it attempting to portray and glorify? It's interesting, too, that when a culture starts to decline, this interest ramps up to a high degree. And we can see this especially in the latter stages of the Roman Empire, where the emphasis on, is on the spectacle, which is the technical term for the gladiatorial games, where these things are reenacted and the blood and the gore and that sort of thing. Just as we are in the, the late stages of what used to be a biblical culture, we are seeing a return to this kind of emphasis. Don't you think that we really need to talk about a biblical view or theology, if you will, of entertainment and how entertainment has 
such a big part of our modern culture. Looking back at scripture, is entertainment a focus of God's word? I think it is in, in this sense, at least the way from my tradition and the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, the Westminster Shorter Catechism and that famous first question about the chief end of man, you know, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think it's easy to read into that term enjoy, maybe a more modern concept, but I think that the Westminster divines in drawing on the basic testimony of Scripture is that God created man to occupy the earth as his vicegerent, to tend it, to enjoy it, as that statement expresses. And I think that entertainment in that sense is a part of it. Now, what form that might take, I mean, I think we can look back in the past and perhaps see some of those sorts of things. But I think another, in another sense, this is a new territory for us in our day, because I think the past is not necessarily a guide for us today in that way, when we have to blaze a new trail based on the principles of Scripture. And, but I do think, yes, that uh, Scripture de- definitely gives us a warrant for enjoying the creation that God put us in. But I think it's tied into the whole concept of the Sabbath. People look at the Sabbath oftentimes as a day off, as opposed to resting in the Lord. And they also forget that the first part of that is six days thou shalt labor and do your work. So the real pattern is six days of work, one day of rest. And I think it's totally legitimate that when someone is resting from his labors or her labors, that there would be the kind of enjoyment you're talking about. Sometimes it's active participation in something, you might say like something that's a pastime or a sport or games, something very different from your day-to-day activity. And it can involve listening to music, watching a performance of a play or whatever. But whenever the Sabbath activity is contrary to the Word of God, I don't think it qualifies then as true rest. Yes, I agree, and I think, uh, more importantly, Scripture agrees. Because we come down to that kind of thorny question is, uh, you know, who determines or what determines whether or not a particular type of entertainment or enjoyment is contrary to Scripture. Now, there are some obvious things that would be, but the problem is is that modern man, especially modern evangelical man uh, and woman, have lost such a sense of that that just about anything passes for being okay, short of, you know, some obviously immoral or profane type of activity. Of course, the big thing coming up this weekend as we're recording this is the Super Bowl, which is far less about the game that's going to be played as, as it is about the entertainment factor, the, the halftime show, the silly commercials that will run, all the glitz and all this sort of thing. And I think that's a perfect example how that is a form of entertainment that does not glorify God. And if you think about everything that surrounds it, there's a lot of wickedness that surrounds the Super Bowl, not the least of which is what happens to the players as they're colliding with each other. But there is a whole sex industry wherever the Super Bowl is played, where there is a lot of trafficking and and things of that nature. And so I think if we're going to evaluate whether or not something is godly, we have to go beyond the gore and the sex. It has a lot to do with what are people's ultimate concerns, because that's really a way to define religion. You can look at religion and say, what's the most important thing? When you see what the most important thing for someone is, you pretty much have a good idea what their religious views are. 
Yes, and this is clear in the entertainment and the art and the fiction. And if we can sort of transition to the question of fiction and novels, one of the most popular best-selling works of fiction in the past couple of years was this filthy novel, Fifty Shades of Grey, about a sadomasochistic sex relationship. And then you've got the whole Harry Potter genre and, and things like this. And again, I'm not comparing those two things and saying they're exactly the same, but both are really an escape from reality, a desire to live in a type of environment in a fantasy world that does not glorify God and promotes other types of worldviews. So you talked about real world as opposed to the unreal world. And having been a homeschooling parent for almost three decades, a common comment people would say is, aren't you going to prepare your children for the real world? <laughs> yeah. Well, I maintain that the real world is the world as outlined in scripture. And part of the allure of fantasy fiction, when it's not even attempting to apply the precepts of scripture to it, is to really create a world that doesn't follow things like the wages of sin is death. That the only way to heaven and to the Father is this narrow road and the door is Jesus Christ. And so we have a lot of people who say, well, I, I know I watch entertainment, I watch these movie or whatever it is, and I realize that there's some bad language or the people there are living immoral lives, but we're being entertained by things that the scripture says, in some cases, are abominations. Yes, and there's just simply a profound absence for any type of entertainment that does not glorify some aspect of profanity or abomination. Another popular aspect of this that we see that I think leads to the same thing or is an expression of the same thing are what's called the Comic-Cons, where there are these big convention cells in big cities like Phoenix, where I lived for a while in California, I'm sure San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City, you know, where they have these big conventions where movie stars and TV stars, uh, authors who represent comic book characters and fantasy heroes come and sign their books. And that's one part of it. But the big part of it is that adults uh, of varying ages will dress up in the costumes of these various characters and sort of live out that fantasy world while they're going to these conventions. And they look forward to it like it's quite a big deal. And again, the issue is what, what is this signifying? What's, what's behind this? It's more than just people getting a kick out of dressing up like Superman or, or whoever. And so you made the point before, who gets to determine what is proper and what's not. Well, first of all, I have no intention of becoming, nor do I think we should have anything that is a formal commission that says this is proper entertainment for the Christian and this is not. When we talk about Christian liberty, what we're talking about, certainly theoretically, is with a biblical world and life view, understanding what God's word says, what he commands, what he specifies, and areas where there isn't specification, we can say this falls under Christian liberty. However, that doesn't mean that I can't differ from you and think, Charles, I, you're, you're criticizing my form of entertainment, and I think it's perfectly fine. There's no particular sanction that the Bible says that one person gives to another in terms of their forms of rest and relaxation, recreation, etc. However, we do want to establish biblical standards to at least inform people on how to make those kinds of adjudications. 
Yes, and le- and let me say it too, because I th- I think that uh, if for people listening to this podcast, we need to be going overboard to be clear on this point that yes, we're not saying there needs to be uh, a censorship board like they had in the 40s and 50s in Hollywood, however successful it was or wasn't, because the the key to biblical ethics and a biblical worldview is that individuals ought to govern themselves according to God's law. Trying to enforce that on uh, on somebody, is it never works. It usually rebounds into something opposite of what you hope to accomplish. So the key is regeneration of human beings with people having a desire to do what God wants them to do rather than somebody punching you around and saying, well, you've got to do this or you can't do that. We do need laws and we do need standards, but the, the goal of our work in, in the kingdom is to work toward a society and a culture where we don't have to have those kind of prohibitions on a mass scale like humanistic people would think of. Because nobody's thinking that way to begin with, because their key focus is on glorifying God and in godly ways. And yes, with that kind of freedom of difference of opinion about how you might prefer that movie or that novel or, or you know, whatever that may be. But there's a lot of confusion within Christian circles because the prevailing opinion is that Christianity is a personal religion only. I accept Jesus into my heart. I encourage other people to do so as well. But we don't expect the civil order, we don't expect the area of business or education to be informed by God's word. And that's really more of an effect of how far we have fallen as a culture rather than having advanced. Because when you made the comment about community standards, should there be standards in terms of nudity? Should there be in the middle of a mall a Victoria's Secret store that has pictures of women undressed. Well, clearly, if the culture was biblical and was Christian and was concerned about obeying God, those stores wouldn't exist because local standards wouldn't tolerate it. Yes, and I I don't know about where you grew up in New York, but where I grew up here in South Carolina, in the, well, when I was aware enough to know things that were going on or not going on in the late 50s into the mid 60s. Yeah, there were no places like that. And there were community standards that would prohibit that should it arise. But generally, I don't think there were even any kind of standards. Now, that doesn't mean that there, well, what I'm saying is there weren't a lot of explicit laws about you can't have a storefront with displaying naked photos because nobody would have thought to do that to begin with. And anyone who did wouldn't get very far with it. However, it's not to say that in a, in, I'll use my, my hometown as an example, where it was, a, I would say, probably 89, 95% of the people would identify as Protestants, and there were a small number of Roman Catholics and Jews. But that's not to say in that kind of environment, there weren't uh, wicked people. They were. But you would find them way on the outskirts of town. You would have to go out of your way to, to find that uh, movie house that played filthy pictures or, or whatever it, it may be. So there was a way in which pe- even the, the wicked people policed themselves, so to speak, knowing that uh, what they were pursuing would just could not flourish. Especially, I mean, let's face it, what's behind a lot of this, and perhaps most of it, is the making of money. If money can't be made off of it, it's not going to go very far. But the problem is human beings in their fallen state, are focused on themselves. It's a turn inward about their feelings, as you were saying, and how this has infected the Christian faith. And as Dr. Rashtuni pointed out in his writings uh, along these lines, this move from being Godward-focused to inner-focused from, as he mentions in his book, Noble Savages, 
from metaphysics focusing on the world and its meaning from God's standpoint to psychology and man's inner world, that was the portal from which the focus on the novel and on fiction and fantasy out of which all of that has grown. And Hollywood found a way early on to make a lot of money in promoting this thing that people were naturally in their fallen state tending toward. So if you think of the Bible passage, Genesis 3-5, that man was determining for himself right and wrong. Well, as soon as we let people think you have the right to make your own decisions about what's moral and what's not, what's godly and what's not, as opposed to looking at God's standards, then you open the door, or another term is the slippery slope, and what can you forbid? There's nothing you can forbid if there's not a standard that says this is right and this is wrong, and then it just becomes who has the greater influence in a locale. So I'm sure there are places in America today that they don't have Victoria's Secret stores. And for those who don't know what it is, it's a lingerie line. And the fact remains that we've taken even the beautiful and the godly institution of marriage and turned it into a salacious thing where in order for people to be happy, they have to be provocative. Well, I'm not sure that that's a good picture in our terms, of Christ in this church. It's not that kind of relationship, yet that's the relationship that the Bible says that the marriage is supposed to be. And so you go back to the early days of film, and a lot of the storylines were certainly maybe giving lip service to people going to church, but attitudes and ideas were very much contrary to Scripture. Yes, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, how you had the same sort of thing, uh, not to go off on another subject, but you had the same sort of thing in the government schools where you had this veneer of a, uh, of a type of civil Christianity with a prayer and a Bible reading, but everything else that took place the rest of the day was to undermine that by its very nature. It's the same thing with the, the entertainment yeah, okay, movie studio A might produce some biblical epic, but then what's the rest of the stuff that they do? And we see this in television as well. Uh, and I'll, I, I'll mention Fox, the Fox television network. You know, a lot of people who consider themselves conservatives are big, big fans of Fox News. But yet that network has produced some of the vilest and most reprehensible pornographic TV shows. They've been one of the conduits for lowering the standards on, on television. And again, it comes back to the idea of my, my goal in life is to make as much money as I can and whatever will appeal to what used to be called the prurient interest you know, of the population. Somebody who has written a very interesting book along these lines, I will recommend this with some reservations, but I think some people might find it a worth the read. Christopher Hedges is a liberal social, socialist writer. He's a true liberal in the old sense not like the modern fascist types like Hillary Clinton and, and people like that. He wrote a book a few years ago called Empire of Illusion, and he focuses on some of the same things, not coming from the same standpoint that we are necessarily, but two chapters in that book in particular read like nothing I've ever read before. He has a chapter on the entertainment industry known as professional wrestling and then the porn pornography industry and how these two radically different things are escapes for people. And he goes into a lot of detail about what's really behind these two, and he has a couple of other chapters on other subjects. But there's this, the, the title of the book, I think, is very good in that it, it does present this illusion 
what you see taking place in the film or on the in the ring or whatever it may be is illusory on a lot of different levels, not least of which in terms of how it impacts the people involved in it and what they're trying to do. And that begs the question, why, why are people looking for escapes? What is it that is intolerable in their life that they have to go with escapist entertainment? Well, I think because they are not focusing on God, the, the doing of his will and the fulfillment of the mandate that he's given us as creatures in his image is not their focus. So they're finding, trying to find something that will fill that void. And so wherever that leads them, that's, there's this constant movement in that direction. Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom personified is speaking, and I think it's the verse 34 to 36, I think it is. Wisdom says, all those who hate me are in love with death. And it is no coincidence, it is no haphazard situation that the entertainment industry is awash with focusing on death. One of the most popular TV series is this ridiculous cannibalistic uh, zombie thing, uh, The Walking Dead. It's hard to imagine that people find this entertaining, but, but that's where we are in this culture. And, okay, there, there have always been horror movies and, and scary movies and things like that, but you see this progression. And, and just the fact that there always have been, that doesn't mean that it's a proper focus. It, it, it serves nothing more than to show that this is another product of the worldview, and it doesn't just stay with Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. It progresses in a direction more and more radically uh, obscene and, and violent. But you said there's always been like horror movies. We have to remember that the 20th century is when the movie industry came into its own. And so relatively speaking, it's a very short period of time that we've had motion pictures and mass media. But one of the observations that was made is that the 20th century was also one of the bloodiest centuries and more people killed in that century. And the 21st century holds statistically, I'm not sure at this point, but the whole idea is that this isn't accidental. Just like the state education system is purposeful in terms of steering people away from a biblical world and life view, pretty much destroying the family as we talked about last time, that the whole idea is to be undermining to let people think that they're actually more progressed than their ancestors, when in actual fact, with modern media, people's attention spans are so limited. If something isn't done in a half an hour, or an hour, or an hour and a half in terms of film, no one's going to watch it. And then as far as all the YouTube things that are put up on Facebook and whatnot, people's attention spans is they'll stop, start watching, but they won't continue because got to move on to the next thing. So we really have lost a lot when what we don't do is read and we don't understand where things come from. Because you can hear a story and say the person was split in two when the tree fell on them. Or you can show the tree splitting the person in two and all you've done is pretty much terrorize and horrify someone with an image that they could have imagined, but now someone else is sort of inflicting it on them. Yes, and it also serves to desensitize them to those kind of images so that the next level, and to see it again and again doesn't seem so reprehensible or shocking, and so the next level you know, goes from there. It's also interesting you mentioned about the lack of attention or the short attention span. 
With the uh, advent and the availability of older TV shows and movies, especially some of the TV shows, you can go back and watch some of these fabulously popular TV shows from the 50s and early 60s, crime dramas and things such as that, and you compare it to similar types of entertainment today, and immediately you're struck by the fact that there's virtually no action, but it's all dialogue. People are actually talking to each other and carrying on extensive conversations rather than just bouncing from one image to the other and, and that sort of thing. That is far more of a focus on reality about how people interact than the, the world today or the images that are given to us in these type of things. I want to share with our audience something that Rush Dooney wrote many years ago uh, on this topic. He said, the radio and television keep man bathed in a dream world and what they do not supply, the imagination does. The sexual revolution has deep roots in this flight from reality in dreams of a consequence-free world of perpetual youth. In brief, modern man is a product of his epistemology. He lives in a dream world implicitly believing that reality will somehow be a part of man totally at the command of man's imagination someday. And he wrote this 1975 from his book, The Word of Flux. And it seems to me we've largely arrived at that, where the imagination of man is pretty much at his command, especially with the advent of virtual reality and, and these kind of things. A couple of things there. First off, if you ever talk to someone in the medical field or you talk to someone who's in law enforcement, they laugh at how ridiculous things are depicted. For example, I have a friend who's a policeman, and he did a neighborhood watch thing for us and was explaining that if someone breaks into your house and you were to discharge a firearm, you may not be able to hear for a while. Right. And that bullet would go through. You have to be careful because it could go through a wall. Well, in, in movies and television, the guns go off. So nobody's having hearing problems as a result of it. And bad guys always miss when they're shooting, and good guys are just so accurate, so that people have a very unrealistic view of what actually happens, or if somebody is shot, or if, if somebody dies. I can remember I was a bank teller back in Richmond, Virginia in the early 70s, and I actually witnessed a man being shot, and I was mm. astounded that it was not at all <laughs> like what it was on television. Yeah, many years ago when I was a much younger man, I uh, I was very active in martial arts and uh, karate and these type of movies and TV shows and films where people get involved in these extensive hand-to-hand -hand combat things. Well, I can tell you, you, you get punched in the face or kicked in the stomach, you don't go much further than that. Uh, I don't care how tough you are. It, yeah, and, and, even, and when you hit somebody in the face with your hands, it busts your knuckles up pretty bad. So, I mean, it, it, it's totally unrealistic, you know, what you see. One of my most vivid memories since we've been talking about this when I was a child, and this is the influence of television and advertising that I want to talk about, the cereal, the breakfast cereal, Cheerios, used to be advertised back in the, I guess it was the very early 60s, using a comic book TV superhero called Mighty Mouse. And Mighty Mouse was incorporated into one of these Cheerios commercials. And he would eat Cheerios, and then he would flex his bicep muscles, you know, like a bodybuilder. And this big O would pop up in his biceps, like from the Cheerio box. And I don't know how old or young I was, but I actually, I used to insist to my mother that she had to buy the Cheerios because I was convinced if I just ate some of them, I could do my biceps like that, and the big O would pop up. Right. <laughs>
<laughs> and it was very crude advertising considering what we have today, but it was enough to convince me to convince my mother to go get the stuff because I thought it would happen like that. I remember going to see the movie Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. And I was so upset when I left because it dawned on me that with the technology being what it is, you could place anybody anywhere. So Tom Hanks is playing Forrest Gump. There he is shaking hands with Khrushchev. There he is shaking hands with Nixon or, or Johnson, the presidents. And I thought, wait a minute, they can't do that. That's not true. But increasingly, you can doctor lots of different things to make it look a particular way, or you can edit things out. I mean, truth be told, there are times when we're doing our podcast and something crashes in the background, and I edit that out. I don't necessarily want everybody to hear the crash in the background or the dog barking. The point being is, if there isn't an underlying integrity and appreciation for the truth, you can give all sorts of distorted views to things. And so is it a surprise that you can watch five different networks, all with different political persuasions, and they're all 100% certain the other guy is lying, and they bombard you with information? And what happens after a while, you talked about a desensitization in terms of violence and sexual things. People stop caring what's actually going on because it's obvious that the person who is behind the camera gets to decide what it is you see. Unfortunately, it also creates a situation where people have lost touch with how the real world functions, not only in terms of, say, shooting guns and things like that, but you can find videos on YouTube of mostly young people doing things like running headlong into a brick wall or getting into a grocery cart and having somebody push them over a cliff. You know, these crazy nonsensical things that you have to wonder, do they really think that nothing will happen just like nothing really happens in the video game that they just played or, or the, the video they've just watched. But when I lived in Arizona, somebody, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it, but somebody was playing a video of a guy who decided that he would jump. I think he was wearing a bathing suit, but he would jump on a cactus, one of these big, tall cactus, you know. Mm. We can imagine what happened uh, from that. And I think this is another example of how people have strayed from reality and this desire to feed that unreality to promote this inner world and to focus on fantasy, this is where it leads. It leads to a society that can't really sustain itself, and you wind up with a culture where ours at this point seems to be headed, where everything is based on entertainment and the satisfaction of material desires. And that type of culture and that type of society is one that unfortunately leads ultimately to tyranny. Uh, as long as I'm being entertained, as long as the new movie comes out, as long as the, the latest smartphone comes out or, or the, the next TV series, then I'm not that concerned about this other stuff. Just give me my 55-inch TV screen and, and everything will be fine. Now, let me say this. I have a friend and a colleague, actually, who writes under the banner of the genre of Christian fiction mm -hmm. and fantasy. And I, I think that especially with the appetite for such in our culture, it's a good use of time and effort in order to create stories and give stories that reflect a biblical world and life view. You might give different names to the locations. You might have protagonists and antagonists being slightly different and in a, a culture or world that 
isn't like ours, but he does a great job of maintaining God's law and the way things would be in the midst of it. That series is by Lee Dwegan, and it's called the Bell Mountain series, and I think he's got 10 or 11 versions of it. Now, I realize not everybody is into fantasy or fiction or sci-fi or whatever it is. Again, I'm not going to even suppose that I should legislate what people spend their time with, although I would recommend that parents are very knowledgeable of what it is their children are reading and watching because that's an introduction of a world and life view that they may not be aware of that's happening, and they have to at least be prepared to give a response to. I once asked a question of somebody about this. There was a series of movies that were released some years ago. I think there were four or five installments of it. I'm not going to give the name of it because I really don't want anybody to watch it, but it's <laughs> the, the whole premise of it is people in a room where they have to basically torture themselves to accomplish some goal or somebody has to torture them. And I mean, it's uh, from the clips I've seen, it's the most garish, revolting, bloody. So anyway, like I said, there are about four or five installments of this movie series. And the question I asked was, what if you knew that the people who live next door to you had every one of those videos on their shelf? Would you be okay with that? Would that make you feel better than if you knew that they had every installment of Lord of the Rings? So I think people understand, or maybe they don't care, I don't know, but I know which choice I would make. And I think even people who aren't particularly concerned about worldview would say, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't want somebody who's into torture movies living next door to me, or I want to live right. next door. Right. One of the reasons that I always say that it's important to share the idea that God's law is operative in every area of life is that I would be much more comfortable with neighbors who were law-abiding according to God's law than those who weren't, because then I'd have a reasonable expectation that my stuff they would honor as my stuff, because they honor their stuff as their stuff, and they recognize that there's a God who sees all, and so they're not going to escape his judgment. Part of the fantasy and fascination with these other worlds, whether they're in galaxies far, far away, or the world of the comic book, is that we don't really hear in those genres that the consequences are the consequences God's word says are going to happen. So are you going to be blessed or cursed for being sexually promiscuous? Are you going to be blessed or cursed for deciding that it's okay to destroy someone else's property if you have a good reason to do so? It makes it for a less friendly culture a less polite culture, because people are not having a true fear of God, which is the beginning of a wise people. Yes, and I think that the record of past history indicates that, say, for example, the stories we have in the Older Testament, many of these stories, although they're historical accounts of things that really happened, were told and retold, I think as, as a type of entertainment, the story, say, of Samson, David, his exploits and his conquests and these sort of things. But they're told with a purpose, with a larger meaning behind them, and they represent something that is foundational on, on what God wants us to be about doing. That's something very different than the types of stories that people read and tell themselves today. And Jesus told stories. The parables are stories, and they were object lessons. So if you go back to fairy tales and the various lessons that were taught 
a lot of those lessons were consistent with you do what's right, there's a reward. You do what's wrong, there's a penalty. The world of comic book and fiction now often says there are no such rules. It's interesting to think and, and to talk to people about this and that if you can trace back in, in seeking the answer of this question, why are modern people so attracted to fantasy and fiction? When I have talked to people about this and similar topics, I will bring up names of people that they've never heard of before. And I'm going to mention one now that perhaps some people haven't. I think many people probably have. But yet, in a very profound way, even though uh, our listeners may not have ever heard this name, some of them, they've been affected by what this man taught and believed. His name was Rene Descartes. He's considered one of the great uh, philosophers. But most people know his famous dictum, which is, I think, therefore I am. He determined that he would begin with what he could be absolutely sure of as the foundation of his, of his philosophical thinking. And that's the one thing he said, I can be sure of, is that I think, therefore I am. And Rastuni points out that this is really the beginning of the inward focus uh, turning away from being certain about God's existence and uh, the world having meaning because God is the creator. And again, whether a person has ever heard of Descartes or not, you can trace this development of that idea right through the rest of philosophy, theology, and ultimately where we are today. It's an outworking of that very premise. Now, some of our listeners are very familiar with the writings of Rush Juni, and we quote him a lot. And some people, although you quote other people as well, but some people say, well, you know, don't you like any other authors or why just this man? Well, I think other authors end up making a whole lot more sense once you understand Rush Dooney's major thesis. His major thesis is that God's law speaks to every area of life. And so as a result of that, if you want to understand modern medicine, if you want to understand technology, if you want to understand the arts, and you want to understand the entertainment industry, you need a reference point. And Rush Dooney isn't the ultimate reference point. He points you back to the scripture, but he, he serves as an interpreter, if you will, in terms of the connect the dot thing. So you can see how this then goes to this and then goes to the other thing. So I find that I, am, I have such an appetite for so many different areas of life that because I'm oriented in terms of a biblical world and life view, it makes so much more understanding coming from the research and the study that I do. Yeah, whether people will acknowledge it or not, they have to have a place to stand in order to interpret the world, in order to analyze what they're doing or what they're thinking. And that is inescapable. They will have some place by which they will do that or some method by which they do that. And as you pointed out, Dr. Rustuni's whole project was to point people to the God of the Bible and his law word as infallibly inscripturated in that Bible. And that's the place, the only place to stand that really makes any sense of the world at all. But the whole premise there is not so much, okay, that you can try this out to see whether or not you can analyze this movie or that, or this makes sense. No, the, the, the whole premise is, is that unless you are starting there, nothing makes any sense. And as I mentioned in a previous podcast, one reason I've been attracted to his writings for decades is because the breadth of which he brought that analysis to amazing areas and categories of thought and life, and it, not just some ivory tower academic exercise where 
pe people with PhDs sit around and talk to each other without ever having any impact on, on the world. Education, marriage, family, schooling, child-rearing, the analysis of fiction and comic books like we're talking about today, there wasn't anything that he could not bring to bear in an analysis using uh, godly wisdom. And I would encourage people who either are already undertaking studies to understand this better or encourage people who are just hearing of our discussion of him as an author would pursue it. But we need to come up with stories that reflect a biblical world and life view. We know that the culture has an appetite for it. And eventually, when people are moving away from escape, so what would be the opposite of escape? Well, the opposite is dominion. And you can use the telling of stories in the pursuit of taking dominion, in the pursuit of fulfilling the Great Commission. But by and large, unless we become proactive on this, we're going to have a hard time playing catch up because so many people are influenced by just one set of values. And in so many cases, they haven't ever been exposed to the other. Yes, and I think it's important to stress again that when we talk about the development of uh, godly forms of entertainment that promote biblical ideals such as dominion, that that doesn't mean that it's the endless retelling of the same stories over and over again. It reminds me of a, a section of Francis Schaeffer's uh, book and video series, How Should We Then Live?, in which he pointed out that prior to the Protestant Reformation, the focus of art and music had been so otherworldly, even in that context, you know, flat images or statues of religious figures. But ordinary life was never thought of at, at that time to be uh, an avenue by which beauty and meaning could be uh, found. So it always had to be anchored and very much focused on some explicit religious, like Jesus, Mary, the apostles, uh, the crucifixion, the, one of the, not that those things aren't important, but when the Reformation came along, it recovered the idea that every calling is a godly calling, that God put man in creation to flourish, and the, the world was created to be very good by God, and, and Christ has redeemed the whole world, not just our inner spiritual lives. And I think getting back to the, the question that we asked at the beginning, why are people so attracted to fantasy and fiction? In some ways, it's a, it's a hearkening back to a darker age in which the real world was never thought of as, as, a, as a nice place or a good place to be, a place to be shunned or um, go lock yourself in a, a monastery cell and try to get away from it when God calls us to do just the opposite. And the telling of stories about how that can be done in various contexts, I think, could be a vital part in that. And I think today the field is very fertile in order to be able to do so, but we have to do so. You, you can't write a story in good conscience and not have it reflect the truth of life and the truth according to God. So that's why for those who find themselves eager to tell stories, they have to make sure that their world and life view is because it's going to come through anyway, and they have to be able to say, am I glorifying God by telling this story? If the point is to communicate something that's true and that's something that's pure and something that's good, that's exactly what Philippians tells us to do, focus on those things. And so a lot of people can actually come out of darkness because somebody cracks the door a little bit and they think, oh, there's another way to look at this. For a lot of people who have a concern like this, the best they can hope for unless, and there may be a few examples, apart from things that aren't explicitly attempting to portray religious themes, 
Let me say, for example, well, uh, and this might be a, a good a good point to make, um, the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. Now, you think, well, surely that, that would be a, a great thing to uh, recommend to somebody, and it certainly has its good points. But if you watch that movie, the emphasis is on the the Hebrews, the Israelites, being freed from Egypt. You know, it's sort of a modern concept of social and political freedom. There's really not that much said in the movie about the whole point of them leaving Egypt so that they, it would be so that they could perfectly serve Yahweh, the true God. It's just right. more this idea of we, we want to be free. So even explicitly biblical content movies can be very profoundly corrupted in that way. And people have lots of favorite movies, musicals, Sound of Music, or things that are, are, are wholesome. And for a lot of people, it's nice to be able to find something that's wholesome. But there's too much emphasis placed on that the worst thing that a movie can contain is bad language or sexual scenes. Those are not necessarily something I recommend or I actually want to watch myself, but... Sometimes in the ones that have the lower rating, the world and life view is atrocious. And I'm thinking Disney movies especially, how many people plant their children in front of a Disney movie. And if you, if you just sat down and said, let's dissect the world and life view here, are you really comfortable with what message your children are getting? It's not something that can be simply dismissed as, oh, well, this is just entertainment, or even though people do that. The doing of that, the, the dismissal of the signif central significance of the worldview and the importance of it and what's really back of it is what has led us to the point where we are today and where we will eventually head. I remember, I remember commenting many years ago, long before the advent of, you know, two or three or five hundred cable TV channels, that with the way things were going, and I think uh, I may be, maybe said this in the 70s or early 80s, I said it wouldn't surprise me one day if you have an entire channel devoted to autopsies. And guess what? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there's an autopsy channel, but I know there was one of them. That, that, that was one of the main, most popular TV shows was some forensic pathologist and her autopsying bodies. Right. Uh, so, again, there, there's no break on it. Um, like you raised the point earlier, where, where does it stop? If you, don't, if you don't have a boundary other than just what I find entertaining and what I find personally appealing, there is no end of it. Maybe we've come to the conclusion in answering the question behind the question is, if you don't have people pursuing dominion, they will seek to escape from their situation rather than to work towards building the kingdom of God. And then at that point, it's hard to imagine how low or how bad it could actually get. And that's why instead of being pessimistic about it, we have to challenge the status quo by the application of biblical law and a biblical world and life view into every sphere that's imaginable. Yes, and I want to emphasize that we hold to a post-millennial view of eschatology, which means that we believe in the progressive expansion of God's kingdom in this world. And although we talk about things in a negative sense, we are far from being pessimists. And if I can quote our friend Mark Rushdooney, who in an interview said this about his father, that my father was optimistic about the future, not because of what he saw in man, but because of what he saw in God. And that is precisely our position. Exactly. 
Well, I'd like to recommend a couple of books before we go. We've mentioned a few, but uh, to put them out there again, and these are all available from uh, the Chalcedon web store. These are all by R.J. Rushduni, surprise, surprise, but they're absolutely worth reading, and they all touch on the topic that we talked about today. The first is called To Be as God, A Study of Modern Thought Since Marquis de Sade. Then there's The Death of Meaning. And the third is The Word of Flux, Modern Man and the Problem of Knowledge. And then Noble Savages, which is his great book on the politics of pornography. And I would add two more, the Bell Mountain series by Lee Dwegan, and then Calcedon's Vice President Martin Selbretti did a foray into fiction himself, which is full of uh, biblical world and life view, and that book is entitled Hidden in Plain Sight. Well, thank you, Andreas. Good to chat with you on this occasion, and we'll look forward to our next podcast. Indeed, we will. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.